Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey there, you're listening to the Alt in Our Stars podcast. My name is Chris Payne. I am a correspondent on Billboard.com. do a lot of things. I write about rock and alternative and indie music. And probably my favorite thing to do these days is this podcast. So I am very glad you're listening to it. You are about to hear me talk about one of my most favorite subjects with someone who is also very passionate about that subject. And hey, it's emo music. Um, It's pretty interesting how Tom and I talk about this. Most of the artists who we talk about, who we put under this tag of emo music, they do not want to be called emo. We talk about that and a lot of other interesting things. Tom Mullen runs a website, a Twitter podcast, a DJ night, a lot of things under the name Washed Up Emo, but he's not at all washed up. He's a very intelligent person. He, He and I both share a lot of feelings on this podcast. There's some excitement, there's some anger, there's some passion. You're going to get a lot of feelings coming at you, which I hope you enjoy. So, yeah, here it is. Alton Our Stars podcast, Washed Up Emo Edition. Enjoy. Yeah, so I am excited for this. I'm excited to see where this goes because um, I am very much a fan of your podcast, Washed Up Emo. I enjoy discussing these things with other people who are passionate about them. And I think within fandom, there's lots of different areas of fandom that can be brought out of like eras and different sides of emo and pop punk and whatnot, different, you know, perspectives. Mm-hmm. Hoping hoping we have some some interlocking but also differing perspectives oh no i think so even your age i'm sure that you know uh yeah your age is different in where you came up and yeah yeah definitely so i think uh i'll be more than happy to debate totally <laughs> yeah so start off tell me how in a nutshell how you started with watched it bemo and what that's all about so it started in 2007 um i was working at equal vision records which is a hardcore label in upstate New York. I had a lot of time on my hands. Um, there's not a lot going on up there. Uh, and I was really frustrated with what was happening in the mainstream media about the word emo. And no one was talking about Sunny Day Real Estate. No one was talking about Elliot or any of these bands. It sort of meant a lot to me when that word was sort of becoming itself. Um, and I started a website and it was, I look back at some of the posts, they're absolutely hilarious. Um, I was so angry. I was like posting stuff from the UK. The UK is absolutely horrendous with understanding genres. I make fun of them all the time. Um, Kerrang magazine and all those places. They're just, they they have no idea. So it was really easy fodder. Yeah. So I was basically frustrated at the era of eyeliner, white belts, um, neon tank tops that stuff was I did not think people were saying the word and it wasn't what I was doing so the, the site early on was about talking about the older bands it was an, it seems like an angry site early is passionate early was angry definitely okay was angry. so you'll say I was going to tone it down and say passionate no, but if you totally, want to say angry we'll go with angry I was totally angry early on because these 2007 2008 it really was no one was talking about it zero um, and then around 09, 
uh, someone emailed me and said, did you know that there's a band in Russia that sounds like Mineral? Get out of here. No one. No way. The, no one paid attention to that. Come to find out, the internet, obviously, you know, ex- people were able to find out about these bands, either YouTube or sharing services. The, it somehow leapfrogged that genre, and these younger kids were starting to play older bands or, or inspired by some older stuff. Philadelphia was a huge scene, knowing Algernon Codwallader, these bands in 2009, 2010. That's when I got excited and started to really find that, wow, this these kids are actually remembering the older stuff. And so it kind of expanded from there to a podcast, a web, you know, a couple other websites. It, it, that was sort of the, the minute and a half version of Washed Up Emo, and uh, in addition to working full-time at other jobs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and to, I mean, like, I remember... 2007, 2008, those years well when the cash cow of what people were calling emo, which, you know, could have been more pop punk or more just like metal or Mm -hmm. pop rock, whatever you want to call it, that sort of stuff was very much in the mainstream, getting attention. It was a bankable thing for major labels and brands and whatnot. So, yeah, it makes sense that that was kind of like a ground zero, like a year zero for like for any kind of reference back to like the 90s email i mean no one was talking yeah no one was saying a word it about there. mineral and now it is now if it's uh, a tour and it's a band now they might reference a band from the mid 2000s but then also the late 90s i mean there's this understanding of the whole history and that's all i've been that's my goal mm-hmm. is that i don't if you like my Chemical Romance, or you like All Time Lower, whatever those bands are in that time period, look back and look where they came from and their favorite bands, but look ahead. Look at a band that's maybe inspired by that band and an older band. I think you need to have the whole breath. If you're just focusing on one couple years or three or four years, that tells me that it was a phase for you. You're obviously into pop music now, um, and that was only a time period for you. And if that was, fantastic, and that those bands hit that hit that time period. Yeah. But if it wasn't, and you're actually a huge fan of that time period, look back or look forward. That's been, that's mm. if there's a thesis or a mantra, that's what it's been. It's been learn about the history regardless of where you came in. Um, and it's been really fun to, every, every outlet I've had, it's been that mentality. It's gone away from angry. I get angry at times. There'll be times where things set me off, but for the most part, it's been, it's been that education part, which I love. Mm. And you know what? I'm thinking back to like when I was maybe like 2004, 2005, 2006, when I was like early, really starting to get into this kind of music. And I would really enjoy the way that like alt press or absolutepunk.net covered these artists. But a lot of times, because I also read like Spin and Blender was a thing then, Blender Magazine. And they would cover it, but a lot of times when these more like mainstream publications covered like Fall Boy or My Chemical Romance or smaller acts in that scene, it would just fall into all these cliches and I would just get so frustrated because it would just be talking about like eyeliner or like tight pants or like... They were pulling these things that any other tabloid would do today for a celebrity. If it's Kardashians or anything, they're pulling out those same things. You're exactly right. You, it would be the Cosmo article about emo. And yeah. it would be completely derivative and away from music and just – and I get that that happens and it's it's frustrating because you would you would hope that they would at least think about it. All press would. They would. They had the history. They probably reviewed the first X band's record yeah. and had the context. But when it got big, it's, it just got diluted. And mm-hmm. that's what was, I'm sure... I mean, where were you growing up in those years? Before? In Central New Jersey. Okay, so you were, you were right in the mix. Oh, I mean, yeah. You were probably at those yeah. early bamboozles. I'm sure, I handed oh, you yeah. a, I'm sure I handed you a CD at the EVR tent. Um, those, those years, if it was Armor for Sleep stuff, like that was right then. Yeah, what I got into it, the band that just was my gateway for me. I was never even just like a big music fan period before getting into the emo and pop punk stuff what got me into it was hearing the middle on the radio when that was really big um bleed american was the first like actual album i spent my own money on nice. and from there that just turned into like oh there's actually these other bands who are kind of like jimmy world but wow these are way off my radar and it just like all went from there and in the high school where i went to this was like freshman more sophomore year, there were, I 
became friends with a bunch of people who were really into the same kind of stuff, and I went from there. I mean, that's that's where it starts. You have that community and that that first record. I think that's fantastic. What do, I I sometimes uh, kind of uh, say pre bleed American, post bleed American, because that was such a huge turning point. That record, that band had the cred. They had the yeah. records before. They had clarity. They had static prevails. They were on. They were a pop punk band on their first record. One, two, three, four. The, Jimmy World is a pop punk band. If you listen to the first record, um, not static, but their first yeah, the official release. So that that was a pop punk record. And for them to make this amazing record, funny story about that record is the A and R guy at the label I was working for handed me the promo CD of it. It was sent by the band because I don't know if you remember the story, but they sent it to every single label and everyone said no. Preferably American. Yes. Yeah. So it's from the management company, and I had it. And the A&R guy goes, here you go. You like them. Take this. I was like, holy shit. The bleed em. Wait, this is the first Jimmy World record? Or this is the Jimmy World record? Oh, my God. So I listened to it, and I'm like, this thing's chock full of hits. Right? And I went so – t- it's, it's always fascinating me how they went from – clarity to that it's just such a again they were on their own just recording it yep. they're with, with no label and it's goes from this masterpiece that's so expansive with maybe like one potential hit on it to an album that you say is full of hits so the funny part is i went down to the product manager that knew that i was a fan i was actually just looking at this poster it was around their two dollar bill show for mtv2 used to have these shows that were two dollars and i remember it was around the same time and they uh he was like, oh, Tom, your little emo bands, this is going to do 60000 and you're going to see him at Irving and blah, blah, blah. And I wrote an article for Cornerstone's like, pre-fader blog mm-hmm. about how one day I'm going to see them at an arena or one day I'm going to see them at a big show. And it was about that record. And, I mean, lo and behold, the thing took off. And it was such a great feeling because I felt that at that point, bands – that were friends or were related to Jimmy Eat World were going to get big too. That didn't happen. <laughs> I mean, you know, Boys yeah, Life and, yeah. and Mineral and those bands that they toured with and the, their sort of Christy Front Drive, like those guys did not get pulled into that. Some broke up, some obviously changes, but it was it was cool because at least one band got through. Yeah. <laughs> from that older yeah. era. But you know, it seems like it wasn't necessarily because those bands didn't want to. Because I remember hearing the story of how Jimmy E. World got well, how Capital got turned on some was because they were trying to sign Christy Front Drive and they weren't interested, but it was a seven inch and Jimmy World was on the other side. So, like, they were trying to sign others. And, like, I think the Get Up Kids maybe had, had offers to go major, but they didn't want to. But it was like Jimmy decided when they were kids to go with Capital, which, like, probably they got shit for that back then. A little bit, but I think at that time they had enough, I think, based on the community that I was in and people talking about mm-hmm. them, they had such a great – like they they did the VFW tours. They mm-hmm. did the, the shitty places and playing for nobody. Like the, They did it. So I think they had the connections too within the scene. It wasn't like their parents bought them all their amps at Guitar Center and, and, <laughs> and a van, which I had seen in the mid-2000s. Those parents just funding everything, and they had no community behind them. Mm-hmm. You know, when any city you go to, you've got friends that you could stay with, and that's how you survived um, those early bands. I, they they had that community already, so it was built in. Um, it was fantastic for them. I was so happy for them at that time, um, being popular and getting big and seeing a band that I grew up loving on the yeah. radio. It was crazy. I still get excited when I hear it. Um, I don't drive anymore, but like when I'm in L.A. or something and it comes on the radio, I'm like – Oh, this sounds fucking rad. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it's like some oh, yeah. little insurgent got in and like got mm. on the radio. <laughs> God, I feel like this could just turn into the Jimmy World podcast. Uh the Jimmy Eat Sorry, World, Jim. Sorry. <laughs> the Jimmy Eat World Worship Hour. <laughs> wanted to touch on comparing the quote revival right now to the mid 2000s so we're there now talking about the mid 2000s so we might as well touch on that because you were saying you see this difference where it's sort of like you think 
the bands then, some of them, lusted after this mainstream thing, but you don't think that's happening anymore. With the with with some of the bands in, in the revival now, now like you don't really think that there's any kind of like lust for mainstream really, but you saw it back then. I think I did. I saw. Now I'm sure there's bands that I mean there's amazing bands right now that are getting popular based on music and based on looks or whatever it is. Those things all happen in every genre. But what was interesting about the revival now that in the in the this is the 2010s not necessarily the revival of the 90s if i'm making it clear enough they're yeah. they're sounding like the late 90s or the early 2000s or maybe they're taking from all but at least had something there was this sense of community to it if it was top shelf records early on or um god why am i blanking on all the labels like all those sort of earlier like bands mm. those guys had a community built and I remember meeting some of the guys from those labels and saying, you guys remind me of those labels back in the day, that there was a community base to it and there was this sort of element of we're going to help each other out. And when I was involved in the mid-2000s and I just saw this this commercialization – and I was in it. I was at a label. I was in – I was at a hardcore punk label that was trying to break bands. This and is was, Equal Vision. And I, yes, and I was working – Bands like if it was Circus Survive, Fall of Troy, Armor for Sleep, I was in it. Mm. A lot of the bands I remember, if it was on these tours, it it was like that. It was like I'd never heard of them. They had you know stacks, Marshall stacks, brand new equipment, you know a van, and there was no substance to it. Though no one's talking about those bands anymore. And I think from the MTVs, from the fuses, those bands really tried to break. And that happens. It was just really funny that it was coming on the end of a trend that was sort of really independent-minded. Yeah. And that's what really turned me off on a lot of them. There were there were great bands in that era. I We can talk about 500 of them that I loved, but it was this, I just remember seeing that, mm. that era being like, we gotta fucking make it, man. And I was like, come on, do Play music first. Yeah, love yeah. it. Then go. Um, the Crabcore era, you know that that was unbelievable. Mm, that was there for a minute. That was there for a minute. Broken Side, who you know, I guess has a new song out. I, I that's some why that's some reason in my brain which I need, needed to leave soon. Um, they have a song. I mean, it's it's interesting. I mean, yeah. everything's cyclical. I you know, not everyone's going to talk about Mineral forever. Uh, but this that time period was it was so. It was like sugary, way too sugary for me. Mm. Now your side, you were in it and younger and impressionable at that time, so it's a different experience. Yeah, I mean, because it was new. Yeah, I mean, even by by like oh seven oh eight, especially, I was really starting to kind of because by then I was in college and I was starting to just feel kind of awkward being into that stuff because. I didn't really connect with it genuinely anymore, just because obviously of how it had gotten. Just like look at the bands and how they were dressing. I didn't really connect with it anymore, and it was just like a lot of younger kids at shows. And I was like, I was at my college radio station then, so I was more into this mindset of like being into indie rock and trying to just being very. I was very self conscious about being into that music in the past, and I was really in a lot of ways like trying to cover my tracks and be like, oh, I'm not part of this. What's interesting about that comment is that it's so many people from that people I've spoken to say the same thing. It was even people that go to some of the DJ nights are like, God, man, I remember back then for two years when I was crazy or I, I, I kind of listen to it, but not anymore. And a lot of the articles were like, hey, remember when you felt weird about your thing and you've moved on? Well, remember this. And it's interesting that that happens for that time period. It also happened in the 90s. You know, Promise Ring I, yeah. ran away, ran away from the word. Those bands, I mean, even after it broke, they were running away further. No one's ever been wanting, no one's ever wanted to be associated with this word, no matter what. Even you. You were like, I didn't do that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's like, God. Like, I remember, but then I came back to it. That's the th I mean, like, it's not like I was coming back to Broken Side. I was coming back to, like, being more open about, yeah, I really, really enjoy Fall Out Boy and Paramore. It was more just like coming to terms with that. And I think also being either late college or out of college, being more mature, being able to have that worldview of being older, like, yeah, I can accept I was into a lot mm -hmm. of... Or but something. at that time, you were like, wait a minute, this has moved on. But that's what I mean. It was like this moment where I'm sure everyone in your high school was into those... Or were into yeah. those bands. Like the popular kids, it wasn't... 
you know, for me growing up, I'm not going to date myself, so I'm not going to mention any bands, but whatever the pop group was, that's what everyone was into. That's what everyone was into. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yo, my high school was weird. I mean... High school was already weird. Yeah, like, <laughs> for me, this this stuff, it was kind of a culture shock. A very minor one, but a culture shock when I went away to college, still in New Jersey, but in a different part of New Jersey. Because, like, where I went to high school, you'd have, like, preppy kids wearing matchbook romance shirts like being into that stuff like that's it, what i mean by yeah it, it, it hit another level yeah it wasn't, it wasn't us wearing our you know hardcore shirts and you know being into uh like metal labels like those kids weren't wearing those shirts and those labels this hit a different level and it was great for those bands but again it took that word to a different world mm. and maybe those people were in it for a couple years but I, it's it's really interesting to see the, there's like a four year period where it just got yeah crazy, and that I mean that's why it was that's when I started it like, it was, mm-hmm. like I couldn't take it. <laughs> where where did you grow up? I grew up in Vermont. Huh. So I got into I didn't know what like a I'd never seen an arena tour or a big show. I had only gone to hardcore indie rock and punk shows at in Vermont. Yeah, I didn't go to I mean. I didn't. I think the biggest show I'd seen right before I went to school, right before I went to college, I saw Rage Against the Machine in Montreal. Uh-huh. That was like that blew my mind. Um, but other than that, it was hardcore shows. So Sick of It All was like a big band to me. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so that I was sort of I wasn't exposed to at that time. Yeah, that's really interesting because so often when I talk to people who are fans of this, Jersey comes up a lot, Long Island, the tri-state area. Florida, Southern California, and maybe Chicago. It was like very centered in a few states. So, so you you spent like your whole childhood in Vermont and got into this music a lot there. Yeah, and I mean, it started as hardcore. It started as metal. I was into metal. Got into hardcore. You know, Victory Records, if it's Equal Vision. Got into post hardcore, quicksand kind of stuff. And then it went into emo. And then. I was getting into Get Up Kids and that kind of stuff in 95, 96, and then, or 96, I guess, and then going back and learning about Rights of Spring or Embrace, and then I went to college. So 96 to 2000 was when I was in college, and, mm. and I was, that was nuts then. Um, because the that basically is like those core years of second wave or third. You can, I, you can correct dude, me here. the wave, no, dude, uh, <laughs> oh, people, third, any, right? it's so funny, when I post a wave anything online, people just berate me, like, well, <laughs> if you think about it, uh, the third wave was, I'm like, oh my god, enough, so, which, whichever wave you think is right, we'll, we'll, awesome, we'll, we'll, that's we'll very, very affirming, so basically, it was, it was when, like, the Get Up Kids were starting, so, like, around the time, Promise Ring was starting around that, yeah, I mean, the first time I saw Jimmy Eat World, they opened for Promise Ring, um, and it was three dollars. That's the first time I saw them, and it was that's kind of the promise ring. Were like guys that kind of went out before everybody else, and they were doing it just a f- couple years before. Raina Maria taught a lot of bands how to do stuff on the road and took people. It, it's these, it's really cool, like that community part. And the thing that's different is that in this genre in that time period was the internet. So up until that time, I mean, in my freshman year in college, I checked my email once a day at a lab that's what i did i didn't i went to the computer lab and i checked it once and that was it that's what you kind of i mean jim tells on a podcast i did with him i mean he drive to a town find a payphone, call the kid his mom picks up and they tell him directions on where to go to the show it's that kind <laughs> of but the part of it was is that there was so much direct connection mm-hmm. between people um i love looking back at shows of pictures of shows back then no cameras no phones you yes people were still antisocial and probably connected with your own clique but there wasn't this connection online you know we met online we emailed back and forth we probably would have met at a show yeah and had this more deeper connection and i think that's what i love about that time period there was this deep connection between people and bands that i think i saw again in the emo revival Mm -hmm. um that those people were connecting that way Roundabout answer, but I feel like that's what was so special about that time. Yeah, and it is sort of like a happy medium too, because the internet, like we were saying, it was there. It was it, just, it, just so what, it was yeah. It just what it wasn't governing everything. It wasn't like it is now. It was just sort of there as like a small help 
for I mean, it was uh, a message board. Yeah, that's how you found about shows. It wasn't like you get to go to alt punk and alt press or whatever it was and see or absolute punk, sorry, and see everything going on. It was you really had to dig. You had to work. Uh, there was a, I should put a I put a saves a day show on it. The pizza place I worked at in college. It was my senior year. Um, saves a day were coming touring, and I emailed the label. And I said, hey, I see an off day. Can they come and play? They're like, hang on, let me go check, blah, blah, blah. All right, where are you booking it? Oh, the pizza place I work at. They're like, are you kidding me? Guess, guess the promotion we did. Guess, the, guess what the only thing we did. We did one thing, and we sold out the venue, 250 kids. Um, we did one thing. You, uh, hmm. Think of the late 90s. Think of, no, no, no Facebook invites. Does, does this involve uh, Friendster? Friendster wasn't around. Oh yeah, you're right. It's um, not even the internet. I'll give you another hint. It's not even the internet. I mean, does it involve a zine or just we something paper? Yeah, paper flyers. We fired one show. That's all we did. We brought a hundred flyers to this one show, passed them out. Two hundred fifty kids showed up. We didn't worry. It was nuts. So people paid attention to flyers back then because you needed the the flyers. It was that direct connection of. I got one. Hey, Chris, did you see Saves the Days playing? Blah blah blah. No, and then it just so it was a uh, it was again that direct connection. Yeah. Um, and maybe we were dumb. Maybe we should have used the whatever the internet was at that time. But that's all we felt we needed. The to internet do. took forever at that time. You didn't have like fifty. I mean, I know how, how much many notifications I, on our phone right now while it's an airplane mode. Yeah. Like I I know <laughs> I knew how long it took to actually like load text back then. Imagine loading like the graphic of a flyer on the internet then. Yeah. So it's just that I loved that. And that's what was so special to me was that direct feeling of you know, you worked at it. You found out about the show and you were there. And that next week you're like, "Wait, you weren't there? I didn't know about it because you weren't in it. Mm. You weren't in the know." I joke about another podcast that I did I said, if you don't know where the basement show is, you don't know the scene. Like, there's always a basement show going on. There's always kids doing something new now. That's what's next. Um, and that's what's exciting, and that's what I love, kind of, that there's, there's always that happening. Yeah. Even now. Mm-hmm. With all the crap and notifications we probably have on our phones right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's interesting now with, with the bands that we would place in the revival, how much they are involved or stay involved with scene on that low of like a DIY level with like knowing where the basement shows are like you're saying because once bands start to like get on bigger shows reach like higher levels on this like ladder of popularity it can be more difficult to stay in touch with that side yeah I think a lot of bands it's, it's hard you see you see the changes I saw it with bands that I worked personally at the labels you just saw the first time through on their shitty van that their mom let them borrow to there's the tour bus, and there's them not giving me five minutes of time because I have to do all this work stuff, and they're busy. It's like I was like, wow, like it's it's really interesting to see the trajectory. And some bands do well, and obviously that's why it's rock and roll, and that's why there's always going to be a behind the music type story for these bands and go well or go bad. Um, these are the bands now you're saying. Yeah, it's it, mm. it's always going to happen. If it, it it's great to see. I love a band that started really really small, and you know it spreads and people find out about them and keep going that's the best thing yeah because i think it's really interesting organically yeah yeah because we were just saying how when these bands like from the mid-2000s did it without setting up a grassroots fan base just like getting mom and dad to pay for those amps and those new shiny guitars and showing up with like an album they could have cashed in quickly but when you don't have like a genuine fan base behind you once that cash cow goes away like now and those kids that were making and not saying matchbook romance but maybe they're wearing that x band shirt they're done after two years you didn't cultivate that connection with them maybe you did maybe there's a, a, a fan base for that band right now x band x mm-hmm. um, there, there, there could be but you did there's this if you just came out of nowhere started playing the ernie ball stage on warp tour and kind of went that way and just tried it there wasn't that heart in it and maybe there was maybe they were genuinely super into that but i think the majority weren't the majority were just all about i mean this is what's happening i want to get signed yeah why do you want to get signed to a major label in the first place or a label in the first place do it yourself first show get i always tell bands that i'm like get leverage 
be really awesome way before someone comes and calls you. And then when you do, you have leverage to say, well, I have a 20,000 email list. I have this many people on this. Like you don't give me that crappy deal. I have yeah. like, I can message. I have more power on my own. That's why bands are doing it on their own. They can, they have the fan base. They cultivated it. Yeah. And like thinking about it, a lot of the bigger acts from, from, you know, from the nineties, They've gone back together. There aren't too many stragglers that have not reformed. No, I mean it's going to happen again. It's happening already. I mean the uh, if it's if it's uh, what Fall Out Boy was what three years that wasn't even you know doesn't count. As yeah, one. that but was they more were, of a high. They didn't really. They were yeah, hiatus. It was a hiatus. So Blink got back was like five years. Exactly. So there's these five and ten sort of. Wait a minute. Wow, we've got kids now. We're doing this. You want to go out one more? Th- Go go crazy because what's great is I saw, I saw Maritime uh, a few years ago, mm-hmm. and this was before Promise Ring got back together, and this Maritime is a couple guys from Promise Rings, yeah, band, which yeah. Is, actually has more music than Promise Ring. Um, they played a show, and this kid, young kid kept yelling "Red and Blue Jeans" at them, <laughs> and Davey is awesome about like sarcasm on stage. He's so funny. And I remember hearing him like laughing through it. And after I asked him, I was like, were you annoyed? And he said, no. He said, I wasn't annoyed because at least that kid came. And at least he made the the connection that this is Promise Ring Band. I'm going to go. And think of how stoked he is that they did those reunion shows. I'm sure he was at one of them. And so it's it's great because kids never saw – I never saw Mineral. I was I missed them by I think three months. By the time they had played when I was in school, they were already gone. So they think of that. Yeah. So I love that that a kid got to see Refused or a kid got to see these bands. And even now, if it's if it's Fall Out Boy, maybe they got into them two years ago and they got to see them now. Fantastic. That's cool. Um, so I'm totally on board. So talking about like talking about money, we're on a money talk. I feel like that's a good way to go into this collect records whole shenanigans. Yes. Yeah. So um, we should we just do a synopsis for people listening of what happened. So Jeff Rickley, singer of United Nations and No Devotion, formerly Thursday, has an awesome label called Collect Records. He had a pretty sizable amount of money financially backed by this very wealthy price gouging pharmaceutical dude I don't even want to bring up his name into this who it was out of that he upped this AIDS medication it was used for other things but amongst them AIDS upped the price by 5,000% this information was out there that this guy was funding Collect Records label which I couldn't it's one of those stories where I had heard the story before Collect was involved in it and I was like oh that's shitty and then when it came around again and had Jeff Rickley's name in it I was like like Twilight Zone, like what's going on here? Yeah, it's very. It, I I had knew, I knew the connection before. Okay, like, I know that it was someone that was very wealthy and put a lot of money and mm-hmm. loved hardcore and loved punk rock and he was a big fan. Um, when I saw it, I was very surprised. Uh, I think you know Jeff and the folks that work there worked their ass off um, from nothing, kind of built it and had a great fan base and great bands. What was really you know hard is that. You know, I think Jeff, you know, he's worked so hard with all his bands. And I was just like this for me. I was like, this is going to be the for him to like go off and like have a blaze of glory. You know, like this is going to be it. And then to have this happen was so disheartening to think that now he has to kind of rejigger and uh, re refigure out what's going on with the bands, with the labels. And it's it's a it's a I mean, again, another tough spot for them. Yeah. And And like what happened in the end was that. He seems like he was sort of undecided when it broke, but the artists on his label were like 100% fuck this guy as long as he's in any way involved. We're not part of this. So that kind of forced Jeff's hand. So basically he, they they obviously couldn't give back like the, the vans that he paid for, yeah. but 
from that moment on, the money was cut, ties were severed. So now the future of the label is like, even though he's preserved, you know, something important, the future of the label is like, it's it's a hard decision. It's a, I mean, if I think there's a lot, we we make those decisions. You know, there's those kind of big. We don't, but those big decisions where it's like, wait, I need to make a decision between do I accept this money continuously to help what I'm doing, so I can have food on the table and rent, or do I do it morally because I can't, I can't do it. And now, mm-hmm. I'm sure that was really hard. Yeah, and it's like I don't, I don't think he knew the extent of it, but he knew that he was like a pharmaceutical dude with a lot of money, and like, it seems like you knew, like in general, what was like going on beforehand. But um, yeah, it's it's because he in his response, the written response he gave right after the news broke, he kept bringing up like capitalism and like we're all in capitalism and these if you're gonna put out art, so much art that like is able to even reach an audience, guess what? It's funded by wealthy people. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, I mean, that's what's crazy is I mean everything you're doing today, if it's watching. Uh, CBS that's owned by GE uh, you know the food company that you bought it's Unilever I mean it, it's you can't get away from it you can if you want and um, but it's it's hard and so I understand his point I mean I was making memes that night of you know I was taking Martin Gecko uh, quotes from Wall Street um, I made memes you know greed is good which is a quote from that movie and put mm-hmm. a photo of him with a brand new shirt um, you know, I mean, brand new, of course, gets more publicity because he was wearing the shirt in one of the photos that ever, you know, it's, yeah, they can pull yeah. from Instagram before he makes it private. Um, I cracked a joke and he favorited it before he shut down his Twitter account or pr- private it or made it private. Um, Jeff did. No, the Martin guy. Yeah. It was, really? I was cracking jokes and he like favorited one the, that, that the night that it broke because that was before he thought he was, he was like, he was still on his yacht, probably fine, you know, wherever he was, but mm-hmm. That was before kind of things got real. <laughs> yeah. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Yeah. Did I just say that? Shit got real. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's like, if you were an artist on that label, how would you have reacted? I would have been really upset uh, if it was, you know, if it was personal reasons toward why and someone, you know, someone being sick or someone having issues like that and not being able to afford it. Yeah. I'd be mm-hmm. really pissed. I didn't grow up rich, <laughs> not rich now. Uh, I, I think I would, I would definitely have had second thoughts about working with the label or being connected to it because of that. Sentiment. Okay. So you wouldn't have stuck with the label. You would have wanted Martin out. I would have. Oh, definitely. I would okay. have wanted him out. Okay. Yeah. If I was on a label. Yeah. Cause it seems like. Although, like, regardless of how you felt, I think your hand is kind of forced in that situation because it seems like if you chose to stay, you would have just been, like, ostracized, you know? Yeah, I mean, not a a great example or parallel, but Victory Records for a certain amount of time, you know, they had really bad relations with a lot of bands publicly about not paying, about merch. And so if you were a band on Victory, it was sort of like a joke to – say well you're never going to get paid um and i'm sure that they've fixed everything or i'm sure whatever it is there could be still lawsuits i have no idea but at that certain time there was this stigma yeah so is there going to be a stigma then when you see collect records are you going to think of that guy or are you going to think of the music and a lot for a long time period people thought of victory when it was you know not a hardcore thing but more of a wow you're going to get screwed over if you sign with them yeah i mean do you think you were even going to see collect much longer I really hope so. I mean, I, yeah, it's dope. 
I think that I think that to create something today in this environment and how much noise and how many labels there are and Bandcamp accounts and mm-hmm. you and I could make a song right now and put it up. I mean, there's so much noise, and so for them to cut through and have meaningful bands and content, I hope that that continues. Because I mean, I'm sure it is very difficult to replace that money, but if nothing else, the story got so much publicity that maybe there are. You're right. Other very wealthy people out there who are good guys who want to step in because the story got such a big platform now and be like they want to be the savior who comes in. Maybe that maybe that conversation's already happening. You're right. Yeah, th- that's a really good point. You're right. Maybe it got more publicity for them to realize it. Oh wow, I really like that band. Or maybe a major label or someone that's a bigger conglomerate, yeah. BMG or whatever it is, or another label brings them in as an imprint. Uh, may- Maybe those discussions are happening. Because that would be such a feel-good follow-up to all the bad vibes, you know? Which aren't, like, Jeff's fault or anything, but just that are still going to linger around because mm-hmm. people are going to think of that guy, of, of Martin. Yeah, it's so it's such a weird... I, like, didn't believe it for the first hour. And then I'm like, oh, I think it's that guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm going to make a meme. <laughs> You were just making memes that night. I was, actually. <laughs> so there's are there some times where, like... You're like, I'm needed here. I need to be making memes right now. So shit's, shit's happening. So I've, I've had instances where I've reacted wrong, wrongly to situations where I've been. I think Twitter is horrible for knee-jerk reactions. Count to ten and say, would would my dad be okay with this, or would mom be okay with this before you test. tweet? Yeah, just like mom and dad. Yeah, because my dad follows me on everything, so I like go like, oh, is dad gonna be alright with that? Sometimes I've gotten really upset about certain things that have happened, or mm. I feel like I need. That's I mean, one of the shirts that I gave you is defend emo. I just feel like it. There's no one. Uh, there's no one saying something that other people are thinking. I'm gonna say it out loud. Yeah, and I'm gonna hope that people understand that you can't do that you can't say certain things a certain way you can't do that and sometimes it's i probably get too emotional because Mm -hmm. uh it means so much to me uh that time period and that that moment um and i hope and again it's continuing now there's so many awesome bands today amazing like i get i'm more excited about the new stuff um if it's like foxing those guys came out of nowhere and now they're getting offers like you they can't they, they can't turn offers away or, or they, they, they can't tour as much as offers are coming in. Mm-hmm. It's fantastic. That's great. Um, I think there's, there's a hundred more um, that we could mention. That's what I love. Yeah, what are some of your favorite bands, like newer bands or albums out this year? Great question. Um, the Foxing coming up, that's coming out. I got a chance to hear it. The new one coming out is fantastic. Uh, the World is a Beautiful Place and I'm No Longer Afraid to Die. Uh, fantastic band, stupid name. Um, <laughs> well, I feel like there's that's it's not an it's they're not being 100 percent serious. There's some some playfulness going on with that name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're they are <laughs> they are hilarious. Um, I think those two are fantastic. Um, trying to think, Modern Baseball is fantastic. Um, who else? I'm blanking because it's the end of the day. Um, there's a, if it's if it's top shelf if it's um uh what's the other label why am i blanking on labels today i am so run for cover maybe run for cover thank you because they, the, they put out that turnover album this yes, year that thank i you really for mentioning loved. turnover yeah uh, even though those dudes look like they walked off the beach um and just rolled up i mean they're the from venue. virginia beach yeah 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 va beach for dude <laughs> um i spent time there so i can say that uh they uh they're they're amazing that is like I love shoegaze. I've like I think it has a connection to mm-hmm. you know the that world. Um, they're they're that that album's probably my favorite of the year. Cool. Thanks, wow. Thanks for remembering yeah. that. Yeah. That that that's probably my favorite record. It it was really neat interviewing them because I was talking to I think the bassist and he's like five years older than me and he or younger than me and he was just saying how saves the day was such a profound influence on him and I was like wow, I mean saves the day. 
I mean, when I got into them, it was kind of looking back, you know, because I wasn't like into through being cool in 99 or anything like that. And I was like, wow, this kid is like five years or so behind me. And that has such a big impact on his band. But it's so cool. And that brings up that point of being able to discover you. I discovered by looking at a CD booklet, checking out what the bands thanked and, oh, this band thanked Mm -hmm. that band. I'm going to go check them out. Now it's five seconds and you're looking on YouTube and you're like, who are they tweeting with? Yeah, it's. I would have loved it back then. I would have mm-hmm. been – I mean you would have – I mean I interviewed um, – or I, ha- I interviewed for the podcast Andrew um, from Brooklyn Vegan. And I was astounded at his knowledge from old stuff that was like better than me. I'm like, how do you know all this stuff? And he's like, Tom, the internet. Like I just searched and searched and mm-hmm. that's amazing. So for him, the guy in Turnover, to have that knowledge, like, yeah. that's fantastic. For the bands that you know, you hope you bubble to the top, mm-hmm. <laughs> or you're forgotten and you bring it back your stuff to Guitar Center. Yeah, <laughs> from those from those those bands by like 2009, 2010 that had bought it fresh in 2007, they were maybe turning it back by like 2010 at the latest. Yeah. <laughs> the the Guitar Center in like like I don't know like Gaines I don't, don't want to say Gainesville. It would probably be more like a metalcore place in Florida, a metalcore town. I don't think that's Gainesville. No, probably South. I mean, Miami had a really good scene. Um, uh, there were a lot of bands back then that were hardcore bands that were fantastic. Um, Cali. Mm-hmm. That's fun. But yeah, I think if anyone gets anything out of this, it's it's there's so many great music being made that's from the independent world that, yes, they're influenced by the 90s, but they're taking things from every era and that's because they have the access to it and it's really exciting to see that yeah yeah yo i want to talk about brand new brand nizzle yeah yo brand do no wrong i'm what what do you what did you think about was it how do you is m-e-n-e is that pronounced mean or mine i just did that i played it on my radio show yeah um i do a radio show on dashradio.com every monday night and i i was like laughing through it because i'm like i'm gonna get bastardized or i'm gonna get like yelled at either way yeah if you totally are by brand new fans <laughs> yeah watch out um we have a joke at our dj night that um anytime there's a lull all you have to do is play brand new um and it's like back yeah to you're back um and i never i was never a huge fan of them um back in the day i just wasn't that into it but for some reason they they can do no wrong so when like absolute punk.net was making a post that yo brand new added two new shirts to their merch site you were like Eh, can take it or leave it. Yeah, yeah. I was like, okay, cool. I just kind of <laughs> treated them as like the same kind of list of bands. But yeah, they they have this amazing cult following, and oh, it's God. awesome. Yeah, it's fantastic for them. I, I saw them in London, um, which was really cool. I happened to be in London at the time and got to see them perform, and really cool to see another country or another group of people like go crazy for this band. Um, and uh, for them, they built it. Yeah, and I, I saw them at Lala back in August, and man, I thought they killed it, and the crowd was really into it, and just, it got me thinking that when you see bands from that era performing now, so often, as good as it could be, it's a nostalgic feeling, but I just got this feeling It felt that, new? Yeah, I mean, they opened Brand with new. Mean, or we'll call it Mean, M-E-N-E. We're gonna do Mean we're today. Calling, we're calling it Mean. Rhymes with Meme. <laughs> we're, we're, we're calling it Mean. They open with that. They go through like their suites of albums. So they even like the uh, the Daisy tracks right after that were popping off. They play Deja in the middle. Go back to a little bit of of your favorite weapon towards the end, then like bring it back home. And it it just I got this feeling from like the way the new stuff sounded, the way the crowd was that they could like drop an album this year, and it like really changed things and feel like really. Mm-hmm. I hate use the word relevant because it sounds so like, ugh, but yeah, relevant. Yeah, I think they're I mean they they're they're still doing it. They're still putting out music and playing and knowing what to do. They know that they need to play the new song first. Play this from this record. They're smart about it. They they know what they're doing. I mean, they if, know, they're, if they're if they're really being mysterious and no interviews and fantastic. They know what they're doing. Yeah. I mean, you could say that if they really knew what they were doing, they had a little bit more music. Cuz it's been <laughs> you, you drop a you drop one song what was that? Maybe February. Yeah. And still like, no, I mean, and I get that these things take time, but like, it has been a minute since Daisy was out. That was 2009. Mm-hmm. So like, do you, do you think an album's coming? And like, do you, how do you feel about it? I'm actually cool with them. You know, 
I, I guess I'm not. I'm still indifferent. You're not the person the super fan, I guess, is what. I mean, we'll what, I mean, the super fan is going to be like, oh my god, I hope it comes out tomorrow. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Which is basically what I just said. <laughs> so you're not going to be super fanning with me on this right now. I will super fan with you because I get that there's so many people passionate about them, and it's had me. I mean, it's been great doing the site because there's been bands that I've sort of, I've sort of kind of been like, I could give two shits about, and then. Brand new is one of them that kind of people reminded me like, wait a minute, you should look, go back and listen to them. So it's been great as a community group of people reminding me specifically about brand new. I've gotten into them again or learned more about them. Or uh, I think it's that thing too, where people sort of helping each other out. It's like for whoever their peers would have been back in the mid 2000s, I really don't know of maybe any others who I would feel this way about the possibility of them dropping an album right now. Not even like Jimmy Eat World. I'm so much more excited for like a brand new album in the near future than what I think like a Jimmy Eat World album would be. Yeah, it's interesting because they've been so mysterious. I think that's part of it. The other funny thing, I have debates about this all the time, is that who is the Pearl Jam? of our era who is going to be still touring when we're 50 and 60 um, I don't know if you ever think about those things I do um, like what's that band is looking it, way in the future yeah like who's going to be that band that's still around and touring um, everyone can debate that's listening now and think about it but I, I you know sometimes someone said brand new like is it is it going to be that band I don't that, think it would be uh, them someone thought I mean not saying arenas but like what's okay. that band that's going to continually be there for years and years and years mm. and still kind of do I, I don't know it's it's a, it's a fun debate to think about because who, did you think Pearl Jam was going to still be around back then in the in grunge I didn't you know I thought it was going to be Nirvana or Soundgarden or something but what's that band that's going to still be there mm. Yeah I mean well at first when you when you said Pearl Jam I just I thought this was limited to artists of around that level and I was like well with like emo and punk there's only maybe like two or three and I know but, no, but think about it that, that they're of those group of people, when you mentioned like that subset of groups of bands in that era, which mm. one sticks around and stays, you know, and, yeah. and, and, and stays true to what they're doing, invents, still does things because they were, like you said, in the grunge era, there were a lot of bands. So what's the what's that one? from yeah. that era? I mean, e- even on that big level, I could see it either being Fall Boy or Paramore. Ugh. Sorry, I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> I had to get one in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Here, I'll, I'll I'll dive in a little bit deeper in that because I'm I'm not sure how much of that. I mean, do you like Fall Boy and Paramore? How I'm, much of that are are you into? I I th- I think a lot of their stuff. I think Paramore's has kept it closer to what they originally were doing. Okay. But I think Fall Boy. I think it's turned into a complete pop band. Um, it's true. And I, I do they even have guitar? Um, you know, on the songs, I, I I'd be surprised to hear. Um, I just. It's gone so far removed, and bands can do that. How, you can do whatever you want. U2 has changed their sound a million times and, and changed, but uh, it's every time they get mentioned, every time it's touring, it's, it's, this, it's this mention of, oh, the emo band is back. I am sorry, that is not. Or they'll call them pop punk. Yeah. And, I mean, in, in a sense, like nominally, it makes sense because you're always going to be tied to what – what birthed you like the yes. scene that, that your lineage traces back to it's so far removed yeah i do not see the connection to that band to bands that maybe i was into or you were into from that era i do not see the connection anymore yeah you is know, the bass even plugged in like does those <laughs> i'm serious like what's the backing track like you know no one when patrick stump toured uh no one gave a rat's ass um i don't think there were many people at the, the shows i went to i had a band on that tour no one cared so it's something about all of them together. Yeah. I just I just look, they can do whatever they want. I just I think they're they're missing their connection to what brought them up. They're into good music. I I've read interviews. I've I've seen they get they get it. I just think it's so derivative of what they were doing. Um and if they want to continue what their their na- I I was almost like change the name. 
like, yeah. you know, <laughs> Fallout Men or something. Like, just <laughs> Fallout <geez>. Men. <laughs> You've grown. This You've is grown the up. mature album, and you're gonna know it. But it just it it just seems, you know, it's like they got into a room, and I'm being really harsh now. I don't know why. Um, but it's like they got into a room, and they're like, "How are we gonna get on the ESPN, you know, thing? All right, well, let's make a thing called Champions or whatever it was called." <laughs> You know, I just feel like it was it was like they got into a boardroom and like figured it out. Like and hats off to them. You figured it out. Hats off. Their management team, I'm I'm I know they're worked their ass off on it. I just it was too forced for me. Okay. Yeah, and st- There's the 2007 washed up emo. Okay. <laughs> it came out. We 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 got, we got it out. Here, this I'm done. this I think might get go in a little deeper on that. Um it was just the tenth anniversary of Panic at the Disco's first album, and also of Decadence, which is now called DCD Two. And I did a big, long, like four thousand word oral history on it for Billboard, where I spoke to Pete and I missed that. Brandon. Can you send that to me? Yeah, for sure. And one thing that I pulled out about it that I was like hoping would be touched on when I started it was how it really that album has really changed the way that bands and not just bands like artists try to break now because they. They did basically what you were hating on, like a few minute, like a few minutes ago, where they did none of the the grassroots tour and build a fan base and like master our scene. They never played live. They just made a few songs on on a garage bands, put them onto Pete Wentz's uh, his blog, and then Is it friends or enemies, right? Was it friends or enemies, or was the th- other thing? This was, I think, before that. This was just like his live journal page. <sighs> Um. It, yeah. So Panic just like left it in a comment on Pete's Live Journal page, and he approached it like, "Oh, this is probably gonna suck." And he heard it, and he was like, "Oh shit, this is awesome!" And he just went out to Vegas and signed them, and it all went from there. Like they they had played maybe like one or two shows before they were on like a big national tour and had their album coming on Fueled by Rom and Decadence, mm-hmm. and that sort of changed the way. Like before that, the internet was. It was like it was a novel thing that the internet. They did broke. a new thing with it. Oh, yeah. for sure. No, yeah. they they were taking advantage of that thing, and I think bands are doing that every day with if it's releasing something without noticing or or anyone knowing or finding a new way to promote. Oh, that's awesome. I love that. Mm-hmm. I I'm the, I think the Fall Out Boy part was that the the like the the marketing angle the the we're gonna do this and that. Maybe it was all in the heart, and they were doing because they loved it. Mm-hmm. I, I I find it hard to believe, and you know. That's just always been my stance. So yeah, yeah, because like, but you're right with Pan. I mean, it was different at the time, and it got noticed. Mm-hmm. You know, it was it was hard to break through, especially with the internet, because it wasn't. We didn't have it on our mobile phones. We didn't have mobile browsers. It wasn't email all the day. Still back then, it was pretty archaic. Mm-hmm. I think our phones texted, right? I mean, maybe browsers were pretty shitty. A lot of people had BlackBerry. Yeah, yeah. He's nodding at me because he doesn't remember because he's too young. <laughs> it's fine. It's awkward for me. That's it. No one else. Yeah, and it, I was I interviewed Matt Squire, the producer of the Panic record, mm-hmm. and when we did the interview, he was talking to me about this artist he was producing that broke on Vine and he was trying to make them into like a legit thing, and he was saying how like, yeah, they, they artists now they or it could even be comedy. They tr- they try to get an audience based off of these like little 8 second clips of whatever it is they do. They're not touring, they're not like playing live and like getting like a fan base on the road. They're just putting stuff on the internet and hoping people notice it. And like that in a lot of ways started with Panic and I think that is sort of what influenced the artists we were talking about who in 2007, just went out to Guitar Center, had their parents buy them amps and guitars, and they were making a record trying to make money. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, it, but that time was such a wild west, too, with sites, and, you know, it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy to make a site still. You really needed somebody or figuring out the domain. I mean, there was these steps that now are so easy that if, if you figured it out, if you were someone that had that know-how, you popped up or you knew how to make a website. Yeah. You know, Tate, Jason Tate had that website a long time ago. He's, 
I mean, it could have been anybody. It's absolute it, for people listening. It's absolute punk. That's yeah, what we're talking about. It could have been. It could have been you, Chris. I mean, you could have if you had learned or whatever, and you figured it out it, that it was. If only I knew how to code in two thousand four. That's what I'm saying. You're he right, knew, though. Yeah, that, yeah. That could have been. So people were taking those opportunities, and I think that's what was really fun about that time period. When I was working, I was at Equal Vision from '04 to '07, and it was really fun because there were the traditional outlets of MTV and Fuse and those places, but then these bands were taking these risks and trying stuff. Mm -hmm. And if you made it, I mean, it made an impact. It wasn't as noisy. Uh, I mean, I'm sure it's definitely way too noisy now. Yeah. But then again, you still see where there's sort of like these lines in the sand where certain gatekeepers won't really take on artists that have the word in or that have the word emo attached to them. And it's breaking down more and more. And I, I like I've seen it firsthand. I think a lot of it is just people like me graduating college and getting jobs in media. Oh no, it's that's, the same thing. That's what's happening. No, no, it's I. We had a podcast I, a couple months ago about that where it's just there was this time period. I'm like everyone's writing about emo. Let me reach out to all of them. Wow, they're all the same age. Mm-hmm. Or they're all from this certain, th- it, it's, or the it's same just, part of the country. Yeah, or just yeah. whatever it was. There I started, were trends. There I were trends. Seeing these all these correlations, I'm like, oh, okay, I get it, and it's cool. I mean, it's going to happen again, and people are writing about that stuff. I love it. I kind of love seeing those cyclical things that happen. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to happen again. It'll happen for this era in ten years. Yeah, um, it's cool. And do you think more pretentious are, are going to be broken down? with people when they see oh an emo band everyone's gonna run away from the word forever um i've Hmm. I've no one i've ever interviewed um has i think i mean people have said they liked it or they're okay with it um and maybe one or two that i can't remember off the top of my head that are okay with it but for the most part no one wants anything to do with it i the name the name itself there's one person that's huge in the scene huge will never do the podcast because of the name Hmm. And it's, I'll mull that one over. Yeah. And it's really funny to think like that is such a word that people get so you know bent out of shape. About. You need to call your podcast. Open it to the alt in our stars. See, that's how, that's how I get the emo artists. Hey man, I made it. Throw that alt out there. Hey man, I made it in '07 and I was angry, <laughs> um, and I got the domain, and that was it. Um, I mean, that, that's why. I mean, partly is this band emo was kind of the dot com was sort of the mm-hmm. way to kind of get people to joke about it have fun with it because it playing off the word again to have people be more okay with it yeah um and have fun but yeah people will run away from the word forever no mm. one will want to be associated with it mm. and if they're i mean bands want to be i mean i get sent stuff every day i get records uh stuff emails band band camp links every day um and so many of them are like we're this genre slash emo slash scram slash this i'm like holy crap like it's people still want to be it, but then once mm. you get to a certain point, you're like, oh no 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 no, that that wasn't me. We're because a, it's it's we're when you, a rock band. Because then it, yeah, because it gets to that point where it's like you want to play like Lollapalooza or you want to be featured in like Rolling Stone or something, and like when I was at Lala, talking about that brand new set, I loved it, but there was not a single other band similar to Brand New there, and like I've covered, uh, never Coachella, but um. Bonnaroo a couple years for Billboard like mm-hmm. I go to a good amount of big A-list festivals and you'll see small indie artists there but you wouldn't you wouldn't see like a top shelf band at these sorts of festivals but you might and that's what I love is that some of these bands and that this little like rung someone's gonna have a record uh, people are calling the world is record that it I'm not I you think don't think am- it is no I think it's amazing I don't think as a as a as a as a bleed American type thing. I'm not saying pop, but I'm just mm-hmm. saying gets out there. People start noticing it. Um, I don't see that record. Um, it's interesting. What band is going to come out and have that record that changes things? It's really exciting. It hasn't happened yet. Do you think the band exists now? Or do you think there's a band around now that could do that? I think there's a band around. I don't want to predict. Um, mm. I don't want to, I don't put any on. You don't want to put pressure. Like, I don't put pressure or, stick my neck out and have people yell at me that I didn't, I didn't call it. But uh, there is a band out there that I think is going to come and have a record that will change things in Mm. this scene again. Um, And it's exciting to think about that. Each time I open up my email and I click play um, on a band that sends me a song, I get excited every time because I think it might happen. Yeah. Um, And that's like the, that's like the biggest enjoyment out of all of this is that people are making music and 
they're excited about a time period that I thought was gone. Mm-hmm. And it's thankfully not, thanks to the internet. <laughs> thanks, Zuckerberg. <laughs> I feel like that's a good note to end on. <laughs> I always thank Zuck. Always thank, thank, and got to thank the gatekeepers at the end of the day. <laughs> thank you for making me have to pay for people to see the news that I post on the blog. <laughs> <laughs> There's tiny worlds inside your mind. Your fingers are a distant sky. So that concludes another episode of the Alt in Our Stars podcast. If you enjoyed it and you want to subscribe, you totally should. You can go to the iTunes link towards the bottom of the story and take it from there. There's also archived episodes, lots of fun stuff. Probably a good amount of bands that are emo that I've interviewed on this podcast before. Probably they wouldn't identify as emo, but that's all right. Lots of good stuff there. And also, if you're not viewing this on the Billboard website, you can still subscribe by just searching for Alt in Our Stars on iTunes. And as always, a new episode pops up every Friday at 1 p.m. on Billboard.com. So until next week, uh, have a good weekend, guys. Peace out. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.